0: All right, this is Chad Edgington, pastor at First Baptist Church in Olney, and it's really uh, we, we've got something we're going to do today that's kind of interesting, is that uh, we're going to interview Jeff Harmon, who last fall, so it has been a year ago,
1: yeah, almost a year.
0: Uh, Jeff uh, Harmon had a, uh, a really scary bout with COVID-19, and so I'm going to allow uh, Jeff to really introduce himself, but Jeff and Denise are here. And Jeff, tell us uh, kind of how you uh, how this came about. So, how, why did you really decide you wanted to share this story?
1: Basically, when I was in the hospital, I was the first part of the. When I was out of the ICU, the dark devil's dark forces were really attacking me. Where I didn't sleep for almost five days. Um. So it was it was just relentless. Every time I'd close my eyes. I was being attacked and with your help, with pastor Eric's help, I was able to get through all this, you know, and, and defeat and defeat the dark forces that were attacking me.
0: Yeah. I remember, I remember it was October, early October. I don't remember which day it was exactly that you called me. And I was actually at the knee March for Jesus. Oh. And so I was at the March for Jesus and um, you, you called me on the phone or, and, and you, you said, I can't breathe. I'm going downhill fast. Will you pray for me? And uh, man, it was, it was a really scary thing because at that time, you know, the COVID, the pandemic had been going on for quite a while, several months, but it really hadn't come to all me. And so as we, um, as, as people we started to know started to get it, it became, you know, uh, it started hitting home. And then, you know, you were in the hospital and rehab for how many days total? 40. For 40 days. So that, that sounds like that's like a very biblical number yes, to, it was. Endure, <laughs> to endure a trial. Yes. Yeah, so 40 days and 40 nights uh, deal, dealing with this. But um, it, it was uh, a very scary phone call and it, for me, it sobered me up to really the realities of, 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 this, of this disease and uh, just how quickly, you know, one can be feeling pretty good one day, and then just a few days later, really be fighting for their life. So uh, after you got out of the hospital, we started talking about this, about the testimony. And I just encourage you, you know, something like this that you feel is a real spiritual marker in your life is good to write down and to not just for yourself, but for your children, for other people, that this was a testimony of, of a time where we can look back in certain moments of our life where God really moved and this is a time like that for you. So, uh, we're excited to hear about it and, and, you know, try to figure out what's the best way to do this, you know, uh, and honestly, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this on the internet, uh, and you've got small children, this may be some things that Jeff's going to talk about might be kind of frightening. So you might want to, um, you know, if they're very young children to think about that. And so I said, let's put this down, let's write this down and let's record it uh, and let people hear it because I don't want you to feel like you're rushed going through it because I think it's an important story. And, but just be aware as we get into it, th- there's some things in here that are, that, are, that are frightening because it was a scary ordeal. Mm-hmm. And anytime we talk about spiritual things and darkness, spiritual darkness and satanic forces is, is scary. So, uh, but we can be confident that uh, the Lord's never putting us in a situation where He doesn't provide a way out. And uh, so, I think there's a tremendous story here of, of faith and uh, and trust in the Lord to get through something that's very difficult. So, I think though it, there are some scary things about it, it's also encouraging. And so, uh, and the fact that you're sitting here today. Uh, is a testament to God's goodness so why don't we're just gonna I'm just gonna let you read what you've got there okay and then you uh uh we'll, we'll, Denise and I say hello Denise you haven't said a word so far hello she doesn't like the way her voice sounds so <laughs> she's gonna maybe try not to talk but uh Denise is a rock star uh, a nurse and and we'll kind of go through y'all's story here um th- through this so Jeff you start us out
1: well, thank you. And I remember when, when we, you and I first started discussing this, you said, well, start from the beginning where, you know, when you were, if you went to church, you know, and yeah. where your upbringing was and how you got to, how I got to where I am today. So a little background on myself. Um, I grew up in Springfield, Virginia, which was right outside Washington, D.C. I used to tell folks that I was a drug addict. My parents drugged us to church, mm-hmm. every, you know, every Sunday. So I didn't escape. I went to Grace Episcopal Church. The thing about Episcopal churches, and I, I'm assuming it was it's like that across the board, is we didn't have Bibles. We had prayer books. Mm-hmm. So I'd never had a Bible before. And my first wife, Jody, who passed away from cancer, we would go to church, and for her, it was a very theatrical production, the whole service. It was beautiful, yeah. but it was up, down. She would just say it was up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, and she'd be looking at the program. We're halfway there. Was she getting anything out of it? No. So 15, 16 years ago, my youngest son's uh, girlfriend's parents invited us to One Cause Church in McKinney, Texas uh, for Easter, Mm -hmm. and we went, and it was very eye-opening. So Pastor Eric was up preaching, and Pastor Eric would say, open your Bibles to this. We didn't have a Bible, but there was one underneath our seat, and I never had looked into a Bible, so we didn't know where to look in the Bible. I'm kind of, it's like, back in school. Or I'm looking over somebody else's shoulder, okay, about halfway through, and we would find it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I got to tell you, when Eric spoke that first Sunday, the Lord finally filled. I, my, my ears were open. He filled our hearts. Mm-hmm. So when we were driving home, Jody said, so what'd you think? Because she didn't think I was going to like this with my Episcopal. I said, this was incredible. And she said, oh, good. Can we go back? Oh, good. <laughs> so, you know, the Lord had planted the seed. Mm -hmm. So that week we went out with our friends and we went up to Mardell's and we got ourselves some Bibles, even had our names put in gold on them. Oh, yeah. And it's embarrassing to say, but in the first four Sundays of listening to Eric preach, I learned more about the Word, more about God, more about Jesus Mm -hmm. than I had in 40-some years of going to the Episcopal Church. Yeah, I think it's funny you say
0: you had your first Bible at age 44. That's but you know better late than never right
1: right (laughs) so later on um so I had been christened as a child you know and I thought well I'm good to go Mm -hmm. you know that's what our parents did and that's what they did in the Episcopal church and what have you and then after my wife passed away and Denise and I started dating I asked her if she'd go to church and she said sure um but she said hey if we start getting serious, can we find our own church? Mm-hmm. You know, because this was yours and Jody's church. Let me let me back you up for just a minute. Tell, so tell us about your baptism.
0: That, oh, you, you, you skipped over that part, and I think that's important to hear. Okay, so so, so after
1: you had been going, Eric to the church, and I had been Eric and I had been talking, and, he'd and been I been sharing said, the gospel with you. Yep, and I said yeah. I've been christened, but I was not baptized. Mm-hmm. So I called Eric, and he came over that He came over the next day. I have a pool in the backyard. We talked a lot. You know, he asked me, do I know what I'm getting into? Asked me a lot of questions. He baptized me right there in the pool. We went to Starbucks and celebrated. (laughs) That's good.
2: But he did that without me being there. He calls me and he said, "I was just baptized," <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs>
0: and "You really it was, You were pretty urgent about it, getting baptized." It was just—it was,
2: a was a little like a moment. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, I and get she,
0: was yeah, yeah. she was well, very upset with me. She was very—and rightfully so. Yes, you should have your wife there when you get baptized. At least. <laughs> right. I would say you should have your whole church there when you get baptized. But you were really—you want—you were urgent
1: about it. So. Yes, and it just became something, and I can be very spur of the moment, and that's what—that's what I did. So you so. Just to get back where we where we had been.
0: So, so Jody, uh, your first wife, and you, how long were y'all married? Twenty five years. Okay, Twenty five years, and she that uh, was diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. struggled valiantly through that. And um, and y'all had kind, you kind of felt like one cause was y'all's church. Yep. And maybe Denise had felt that way too, to say I'll go with you to this church, but eventually could we find one where. You know it it feels like it's our thing and maybe not from the first marriage or you know i know there's some things that are difficult like that Mm -hmm. emotionally Mm -hmm.
1: but so what happened when you all visited she fell in love with eric (laughs) first first sunday she said this man was born to preach (laughs) um and it became our church Mm -hmm. and she didn't really want to go look for another church she was very comfortable and when she would talk with pastor eric or heather they were just very friendly and the man can preach. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we started doing that, and then it really became our church. And so we fast forward, and we got married November 12th, 2017. I was two. November, November 17th. November 17th.
0: 17th. Yeah. 2000. 2012. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just switched the numbers, I think. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs>
1: So we were we'd been dating for two and a half years, and the bo- all four of our boys, three of mine and one of hers, gave us their approval, and so we got married. Mm-hmm. So then we flash forward to last fall. Well, let's uh,
0: let's back up for a minute, just because people might be interested. So how did you wind up in Albany?
1: So we had a friend that had a ranch in Santo, uh-huh. and it was nice. But we started, you know, when we got married, we wanted something of our own, mm-hmm. so we started looking, and it really became. Olney wasn't the price point, but we weren't finding. We wanted to stay two hours from the McKinney. Metabolic. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so two hours, yeah. and we'd been looking every week in three or four or five places, and Denise called me one day and she said, "I found two ranches side by side in Olney," hmm. and I said, "Well, that's a little bit further out." Mm-hmm. And we pulled into our ranch first. I think the deal was done with both of us within 10 minutes of being mm-hmm. there. Even though we went and looked at the property next door. Yeah. This was it and this was home.
2: It was a real um, sense of peace. Yeah. Uh, for I know for me, um, I sold my house and moved into his house.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And pretty much kept the house the same. Yeah, um, yeah. cause I didn't want to change it because, yeah. um, the boys were raised in that house. Yeah. And so, you know, we were looking for something that was ours. And when we pulled in, I just, the Holy Spirit just came over me and it's like, I was like, I'm home
0: mm-hmm.
2: and he felt the same way, Yeah, but we weren't sharing that initially yeah. with each other. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm -hmm. it's going went Things like that happen like when you feel the lord speaking to you about something Mm -hmm. and then you finally both say are you feeling this
1: are you feeling it and you're Mm -hmm. like that's amazing Mm -hmm. yeah because we were down on the dock we'd Mm -hmm. we'd asked to use the four-wheeler so we could tool around and see what the ranch was really like by ourselves and we were sitting on the dock and i'm not sure who which one of us said i think we're home yeah and the other one you know whichever she said at first and i i I agreed or however it went but it was done and we asked for a two week settlement, and we were here, yeah, and then it was supposed to be just a weekend place, and then we decided no, we're going to move here, yeah, so the yeah looking Our, for churches was very interesting as we you know went from church to church to church, from side, here go to to go to the Graham and, where the weirdo that was the pastor <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, <laughs> it was um no, actually, I was looking to rent Sindel's airbnb oh yeah yeah and um. We were talking, and she was like, "Where do you go to church?" I said, "Well, we're looking." Well, she said, "You need to come to my church because it's the best church." So that is how we came here yeah. from Sindel. Mm-hmm. Well, she's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: yeah. it, uh-huh.
1: You know, it's it's like trying on clothes; not everything fits. Yeah, yeah, you got to find you, the right place. Yep, the right you got to find the right place to fit. But I think so. it is surprising,
0: you know, in all the well, if you when you. And there, and, you know, there's different flavors. I mean, the churches in the metroplex have a certain flavor, but there is something that, had myself, having been raised in the H-E-B area uh, and going to big churches when I was growing up, and then kind of through college and then moving out here, going to rural churches, I I thought this I love this. I love the way the rural church functions and operates, and it's kind of sad that. A lot of folks in the bigger cities never get to experience that. How, you know, how wonderful mm-hmm. a small-town church is where there's just such a connection and you can't really talk about anybody because they're all related. And you, yeah. you know, <laughs> so, you know, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a certainly a, a wonderful way. I mean, there's pros and cons and benefits and drawbacks to everything, but it is awesome to be part of a rural church um, where, you know, there's such history. And and such a, a sense of community, you know, the church ties a lot of things together. Mm-hmm. The church, schools, and hospitals, you got mm-hmm. those things yep. and it ties mm-hmm. everything together. So, well, I, well, we're glad you're here. And what,
1: when did y'all move out here? What year was that? Well, we bought the place, I think, in 13, and we moved out here full time. The house is three years old, so four years for me, because I was out here the whole time yeah. the house was being, yeah. we'd sold our house in March of whatever it was four years ago. And then we moved out full time.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it's been about a seven eight year thing, really. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's wonderful. So so you've been out here working and everything. Yep. Everything's going great. And then we hear word in like February or March that like the
1: whole country is going to shut down. And what did you, what was your thought of COVID at the time? So my last business trip because I, I traveled a lot was. March fifth, mm-hmm. and we shut down as a company for traveling unless we got VP approval.
0: Yeah,
1: so I didn't travel until this past June. That's the first time I got on an yeah. airplane. Yeah, so it was very interesting the dynamics of learning to work remotely with and talk with customers and things. But I don't know if I took it as seriously as I should have. You know where. We're hearing this pandemic. We're hearing this. We started wearing masks. But none of, nobody was sick. Like none of us out here had it. Nobody was Well, people sick. that got sick yeah. had flu-like symptoms. Yeah. So my buddy and I had just come back from a hunt down in um, Rock Springs, down in South Texas. That's the last I remember. Um, and that just, was when? That was... The end of September. Right at the end of September. Right at really, the end of right September. Of October. It was
2: the last Wednesday in September. Okay. Um, my previous job in the city, I did recovery room and day surgery and they shut down surgeries. And mm-hmm. so in March, I was having to go work in the ICU and the ER and be like a tech on the floor. So I was seeing you it. You were
0: seeing it. It was real to I you. was seeing it yeah.
2: first, firsthand, mm-hmm. um, you know, how bad it was. And, um. He'd come back from his trip. It was Wednesday and he was coughing. He'll get bronchitis and I didn't think much about it, mm-hmm. but I told him he needed to go get looked at. And I told my boss, um, when I go home tonight, I'm not coming back tomorrow. Cause I, I commuted for four years into the Metroplex to work. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how all that started.
0: So, so you can't. You were coughing, feeling after the trip, yep. started kind of feeling bad,
1: and then my buddy was leaving the following day, and Denise wanted to take me into, Allen to her hospital that night, and I was like, "No, I'll be fine till morning." Well, by morning, I w- I was beyond fine, and mm-hmm. so we went to Regional, in well, Wichita Falls.
2: What happened? They'd done a send out on him. So Thursday, I took him to Graham at like eight in the morning, and his friend was still there. They called us like at five to say he was positive and I think it was like nine o'clock at night I was like I think we need to go to the city Mm -hmm. just in case but it's amazing how through this whole time that the Holy Spirit was just ever present Mm. talking to me leading me and telling me what to do for him Mm. um but, yeah, I got him in the car, and he needed oxygen. <laughs> he, I looked at him, and I was like, he needs oxygen. And, so, and
0: Do you remember this stuff? No. Yes.
1: I have no rec- zero <laughs> recollection yeah, yeah. of a lot.
2: But yeah. I'll tell you, he, has, he takes care of everything, and mm-hmm. he's always on top of everything. So he came out probably very hypoxic, not knowing what he's doing, and he hands me this thumb drive, and he's like, everything's on here. Mm,
0: mm in case have, have
2: Alec help you yeah everything's on mm, here mm. and um he was still taking care of stuff when he couldn't breathe
0: <laughs> so you so eventually you wind up at United Regional mm-hmm. right and and we're there for how many days two Day and a half or two days and then you said this is we know how to I remember you called me on the phone and you said we at the hospital where I'm working we can treat this. Yes. And I need to get him there. Mm-hmm. But it was hard to get from Wichita to Presbyterian, wasn't it? Well,
2: it was. Um, you know, when you've worked at a place and you've known some, some of the physicians for 30 years, mm-hmm. you're used to really good communication. And it mm-hmm. just, um, my spirit, the Holy Spirit was like, he needs to go to the city. I just knew it because he went from okay to not okay and about and about it was scary in hours yeah and um so yes it was uh very hard to get a ride for him you couldn't
0: get a helicopter
2: well i didn't want to pay for a helicopter yeah um because we had to pay for his transportation Mm -hmm. because they felt like he didn't need to go right and that he was then that he was too sick to go Mm. and The first ambulance that showed up did not have a ventilator on it. And I had uh, three people in Allen that stayed up 24 hours finding a ride for him. And when the first ambulance showed up like that, I actually went outside and laid down in the grass. (laughs) I was like, I trust you, Lord. That wasn't his ride. Hmm. That wasn't his ride. And I just had to hang on to that. And so.
0: Which is good because the ambulance you wind up getting had, the had a ventilator
1: and they put you on it on the side of the road. Yeah, they pulled over in Gainesville, Texas and put me on the ventilator. And again, I re- that's the one thing I remember. I remember them saying, we're going to pull over in Gainesville. I don't know why, hmm. but I do, I do remember that part. I don't remember being in regional, I don't remember going to regional. And then I remember waking up six, almost seven days later.
0: And this is where the story really gets, um, you know, where where you just kind of start experiencing some things you'd never experienced right. before. Uh,
1: so tell us about that. You came, so you came out of the coma and you were out of it, but and Denise's. You know. So I, I wake up and I'm really out of it, but she's there. Her face. She's probably a foot away. She's got the whole hospital garb on, the shield and everything mm-hmm. else. And she said, "The Lord says it's not your time." And were you going to say something before that?
2: Um. In bet- on those um, days, yeah, the 10 six days, days yeah. or t- you know whatever it was, yeah. um, mm-hmm. there, there it's it's like there were prayers that were answered instantly mm. over him, and when people were asked to pray for him, I could I could I could feel it.
0: Yeah, I've heard people say they can feel prayers. I could. I've, like, always, I've never. I don't know if I've ever felt a prayer. I but, could. I could.
2: I could feel it.
0: Yeah. And it was like God was comforting you in the moment with the answer. Yes. The
2: answer to Answer the prayers. And
1: something you told me about my kidney or liver failures his, were his, failing.
2: His liver was not behaving, and the doctor said we're going to have to stop these certain medications. And I was like, guess he doesn't need them then. Mm-hmm. And then I would pray, I would ask people to pray for his kidneys, mm-hmm. they drew his blood like at four o'clock, and his kidneys were normal. Yeah. I mean it was it was stuff yeah. like that, and we had a lot of Muslim doctors that you know were seeing these um, answers to, yeah. to prayers. Wow. And the devil liked to put in my mind like he might die. What are you going to do if he dies? And I would just get up over his bed, and I'd be like, no. And that's all I could say was, no. Mm. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. And um, I have a whole journal of all of that stuff. (laughs) That's another conversation.
0: (laughs) So when he woke up, you just said, not your time. Just rest.
2: Well, what was interesting he was not ready to come off the ventilator. His ventilator settings were very high, um, and also to backtrack, he is probably the only COVID patient that had a family member with them the whole time minus a week. Mm. Um, our my hospital was so gracious; they made me leave at seven, but mm. um, but I was I was with him the mm. whole time.
1: And see, I don't know how people that go in that don't have family members. I know. Because there was one morning, she was always there by seven thirty eight o'clock, and it was 8.15, and she wasn't there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I was in the ICU, and I was freaking out. Mm -hmm. I was, where is she, you know, I was getting anxiety because she'd always been, I don't know what she was doing, but she got there shortly thereafter and talked me back down off the ledge, as I called Mm -hmm. it. But it was not good. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when she told me, the Lord said, it's not your time, when I laid there. Boy, I, that went through my mind a whole bunch. How did she know? Mm-hmm. Did, you know, how did the Lord tell her? You know, so those are things that went, but I'm very much out of it. I'm very mm-hmm. drugged up. Yeah. But that's when the dark forces started to attack. So I don't know, how, I, don't, I think I was out of the ice, or I was off the ventilator and awake, because I think I slept for 18 hours after that. Mm-hmm. And then they started doing some cognitive tests on me, which I failed every single one of them from my birth date to who the president was and what month it, or what day it was. I just, I couldn't believe, I felt like I had missed a month of my, of my life, but it was only six days or almost seven days. Huh. But that stuff was going through my mind. So I think it was the first night that I was awake, a nurse came in and I'll start getting very upset here. And she said, do you know what happened? I said, well, I think I have COVID. And she said, you were, you were in an accident, and the passenger in your truck was killed. And when you're better, the police are going to charge you with involuntary manslaughter. Well, I don't have any recollection of how I've even gotten here. And I'm searching my memory bank, and I remember that my buddy and I have been on this hunt. And I remember leaving Rock Springs. I don't remember anything else. And it dawned on me I killed my best friend, since we were kids. I mean, at least she has told you this.
2: Right. Yeah. He thinks.
0: You you think that. Yes. You said that had dawned on you, but you, it didn't happen. Right. But you, but this, this somehow, this deception was told to you.
2: And when I got there, he was hysterical and he was like, I've killed John. I've killed John. And I was like, baby. You did not kill John. So we called John. Because I didn't believe her. He was sobbing. Because you'd been he for was the whole night. He was sobbing. I, all night, all the night long, long. The
1: nurses were trying to console me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how am I ever going to face his family? Because mm-hmm. his brothers and sisters are like my extended brothers and sisters. Yeah. His parents were like my second parents growing up. We're, just, we're, not, we're not friends. We're, we're brothers mm-hmm. from different moms, as I say. But, and then when she called John and he answered, then I really started sobbing, but for a different reason. Yeah. So that was the first, that was the first attack on me because mm. I have no idea who this nurse was um, or who she was. I assumed it was a nurse, Yeah. you know, when you're dressed up in all that garb, yeah. because nobody came in undressed. They had face shields and face masks and gowns and plastic covers. And. and it could have been a thing where, I mean, who knows? I mean, it could be, you didn't understand what she was saying
0: and mm-hmm. your mind hears this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're you being told it's an attack. A lie is being told to you. Right. How do we want to, I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of things about this kind of stuff I don't understand. Mm-hmm. But what happened was a lie got lodged in your brain and it yep. disturbed you until you heard the truth. And there's a real spiritual, aspect to that Mm -hmm. is that satan's all his attack is always lie to us Mm -hmm. right and then through the lies he that's how he seeks to destroy us and so what we're always trying to do in our christian life is take whatever lie Mm -hmm. so what happened in the hospital was once denise came and replaced the lie with the truth was better yes you know and that's 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 spiritually how we're healed Mm -hmm. is that we the lie that we believe is replaced with the truth so it's kind of a illustration just even that that little
1: story and what I've come to find out or came to find out through this entire thing is the devil and his demons would attack me at my weakest points. Hmm. And, you know, just coming off the ventilator, this, this, and this. And when she told me that, but that was just start of it. So that night, you know, I, I try to go to sleep and I close my eyes and I am being attacked by demons. And these weren't TV demons, video game demons. These weren't cartoon demons. These are, There was a lot of fire. They were demons. It's very hard to explain what they looked like because I'd never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. But they were coming after me. And so I was praying to God. I was praying. I'm rebuking these demons. And when I would rebuke them, normally they would disappear followed by another one. And then I tried to rebuke all of them. Well, that never worked. And the strangest thing is in my far left uh, peripheral vision, there was a man standing in the shadows. He had what I relate to as a 1940s trench coat and a hat, and he watched what was going on the whole time. He never came towards me. He never did this, but he was the toughest one. I thought I prayed for hours on end to rebuke him, and finally he would disappear or I would wake up and I'm like, holy cow. But as soon as I closed my eyes again, it would
0: start. So it's interesting. It's like you're describing things you're seeing, but it was only when your eyes were closed. It was like a vision or a spiritual vision yep. of some sort or, 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 you know, our lies told to our imagination or our, I mean, I don't know how it works. Yeah, I but, don't, I but don't. But you either. were laying there and it was, it's interesting to say that, that your peripheral vision was seen when your eyes when your eyes were closed right you know it's so weird. but then
1: when you would wake up you would you would be okay so you, you it was just when you were sleeping it was you were terrified and i don't even know if i'm sleeping cuz i got to the point where i just couldn't close my eyes anymore mm. and then i got stuck i call it the state of purgatory where you're between sleep and awareness your mm-hmm. lights are on but nobody's home right right and every time i got into this got into this state there were two nurses or two gals talking above me, you know, standing there talking. Never once did I feel threatened. Never once did I feel afraid. Mm. But I couldn't hear what they were saying. I knew they were there, so I would blink my eyes to focus so I could hear, and they would literally just fly off and disappear. Hmm. And I don't know if they were my guardian angels, because, again, I never felt threatened like when I closed my eyes. Mm -hmm. But if I closed my eyes, this went on. And so this goes on for... Five days. And I'm not sleeping. And, you know, every day I'm just a basket. You know, Denise is like, you've got, I said, I can't close my eyes. And that's when I got the strength. I couldn't hold my phone at first. I just, I was too weak. I'd lost too much muscle mass. I'd lost 30 pounds of muscle mass in that first week or two. And that's when I called you. Yeah. And I needed help. So you and I talked You and I prayed, and I just remember, um, because that's the first time I think you said, wow, you are really being, um, they're really coming after you.